I stayed in a bed and breakfast in Rotoith, Ireland, and it was owned by an older lady, and uh, for some reason she was convinced my name was Olaf. And she was so pleasant to be around and just so nice and sweet that I didn't have the heart to correct her. So I went ahead and just answered to it. But she would ask me strange questions like, So, Olaf, what's it like to have Nordic heritage? I'd say, hey, it's just one of those things. And she'd say, I hear that you're a guitar player. Have you thought about doing anything else with your life? And I have to admit, the question has come up a few different times in conversations. But I say, well, I'm actually studying to be an Icelandic botanist. And I have no idea what an Icelandic botanist is, but she bought it. The next morning I came downstairs, and she wasn't anywhere to be found, but her husband was working behind the counter. And uh, he saw me, and he motioned over. He said, come here. I said, what? He says, did you hear there's a guitar player from Indiana that stayed here last night? And I said, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's studying to be an Icelandic botanist. I said, you don't say. I thought about it for a while, and I've come to the conclusion that if you've lived 70-plus years in this world, and you've put up with all the crap that we all put up with on a day-to-day basis, you've pretty much earned the right to call anybody any damn thing you want. friends, this is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville, Tennessee, on a beautiful, beautiful day, and we had the cedar wax wings just return to our backyard to eat the berries off the privets. They're only here for two or three weeks out of the year, and they're just beautiful. They really put a lot of color everywhere. But this is a personal journal. It's a bit of an experiment. I like to say up front that I have not the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway, and I'm doing my best to learn as I go. This show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it, and everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Chuck Mead. And you might know Chuck as one of the singers in BR549. They had three Grammy nominations, and he won one CMA award with that band. He's also the music director of the smash Broadway hit Million Dollar Quartet. These days, he's on the road a lot with Chuck Mead and his Grassy Knoll Boys. And you can find out everything you need to know about Chuck at chuckmead.com. I sat down with Chuck in his living room here in East Nashville, Tennessee, And I have to say, I really, really enjoy just shooting the breeze with Chuck whenever I see him. He's a really good guy, and he's got a lot of really good stories. So sit back and enjoy. Here's Chuck Mead. Have you ever heard the story about the, you know, it was Webb Pierce that had the original guitar-shaped pool. Have you ever heard that story? No. Oh, um... It was in kind of a nice neighborhood, and I think they still do them, but they used to give tours of the Stars' homes, and you could do it right out of Nashville. You didn't have to go all the way to Brentwood. They lived in Madison area or Hendersonville, or or uh, you know, which really isn't that far out. And uh, 
Webb had his guitar-shaped pool, and then when the tour bus would come by, if, if he was home off the road, well, he'd charge admission to get into the house to go see the pool, <laughs> take pictures and stuff. And the neighbors were starting to complain that there were people wandering around in each other's yard. You know what I mean? It's just all these people in their yards. And and so um, uh, uh, Ray Stevens lived in the same neighborhood. And so all the neighbors went over to Ray. Yeah, yeah, the streak, Ray Stevens. But he was a, he was a studio musician back then, before then. I mean, he, he played on some of the greatest records before he was anybody with Harold Bradley and all those guys. And... Um, Anyway, so they got they they went up to uh, Ray and and said, "You got to talk to Webb. You know, you're in the business too. You got to talk to Webb. You can't be having all these people, you know, in the neighborhood." So they, so he went over and he said, "Webb, you know, the neighbors are complaining. You can't, you know, there's people wandering around the neighborhood, and you know, they, you can't have people doing that." And Webb goes, "Well, Ray, that's that's the price you pay for living next to a big star." <laughs> That went over well. <laughs> well, what can you say? It was Webb Pierce. No, I was I was born in Nevada, Missouri, but that was because that's where my mom's from. She went down there to have me, but I never lived in Missouri, just for the record. I spent a lot of time there, though. <laughs> don't want any rumors started. Yeah, I don't want any of that border war, you know, because I know what happened. <laughs> I remember 1854 <laughs> like I was there. Um, uh, but I, I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas. That's my hometown. Was your uh, dad into music or your mom into music? Well, my dad was a teacher, uh, but my mom's family was into music. My mom's family, when they were young in the late forties and early fifties down in Nevada, Missouri had a radio show and they sang old hillbilly. It was my mom and her, her, her two brothers, my two uncles and my grandpa and grandma. They were the wines family and they sang old hillbilly old-timey songs and Western songs and gospel songs. and They were part of this thing called the Hayloft Gang on KNEM in Nevada, Missouri. <laughs> the Hayloft Gang. The Hayloft Gang. That's yeah, great. It was, you know, it was, a, it was a sort of a barn dance-ish radio show. They didn't have a live audience. They'd just go in there and they sang on the radio. And then they kind of, when they got into high school and they kind of gave it up, they, you know, my uncle, they got playing basketball and, you know, being cheerleaders in the 50s, you know, they were the first cruising generation. You know, my uncle graduated in 59. My mom graduated in 54. And uh, so they were, they got, you know, that was when America kind of worked right for some people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But for a lot of people, it worked right. There was money. I mean, there was money coming in. And it would have worked even better if they let other people <laughs> do right. their thing too. Right. Which eventually came though. But um, I'm digressing. It's all right. Uh, so when it got to be like the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, they decided that they wanted to put together a dance band, my mom's family. And so uh, my grandpa played guitar and my uncle played guitar. My mom would play piano. My grandma would sing. And they hired some guy from Eldorado Springs right by Nevada for all you people into geography. Um to play bass, a younger guy, and they just didn't, you know, they'd play like Knights of Columbus, you know, VFWs. Yeah. And, and on my 12th birthday, I got a set of drums and was told, you're the drummer now. <laughs> <laughs> and then my dad changed to bass because they knew he would show up. <laughs> and he kind of had to learn how to play. But uh, 
so I, that was my formative years since I was 12 years old uh, was playing drums and playing Elks and Eagles and Knights of Columbus, playing some of the same songs I still do. <laughs> Is that the Critter Circuit? Is it- yeah, the Critter Circuit, the critter exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Critter Club. Critter Club. Uh, they used to have this strange ceremony at 11 o'clock in the Elks Club. You would hear this; these chimes go off, and they'd ring eleven times, and then a guy would come up. Everybody'd stand up, and they were real solemn, and he would say, "You have just heard the tolling of eleven strokes. This is to press upon you that with the hour of eleven, to Elkdom it holds a tender significance." Wow! Oh yeah, and it's it's all it's all a pledge to their to their dead brothers. Okay, is and it- it's and it's very yeah. The first time that bell went off, though, my uncle you know, acted like he was boxing, you know, like with the bell went off. And then he kind of got embarrassed a little bit because it was a very solemn thing. We learned real quick. Was there anybody in the town or anybody around you that was actually a professional musician, someone who made a living playing music? In Lawrence? Well, or anyone you could look up to to think maybe one day I could do that. Well, you know, that's where I learned it from my uncle and my grandpa. I mean, they taught me. I, I was I was ruined from the time that I was sitting behind the drums, you know, the first time at the El Dorado Springs Community Center <laughs> <laughs> for a big dance. Walking the floor over you. And I had to play brushes on the vocals, and I could only use the sticks on the instrumental songs. <laughs> That was my grandpa laid down the law the first night because he knew how it was going to be. But then I got to do all the Chuck Berry and Elvis numbers and Carl Perkins. And, you know, I was, I was really into all that shit. I even did old big old jet airliner when it was out because all the people like that. And, I, and of course I had to do old time rock and roll, which I still resent, but you know, that you, you did, you played to the crowd, right? The first ball game my dad ever took me to was uh, Kansas City A's. I'm showing my age now. It was the Kansas City A's. It's 1966, and they played the New York Yankees. We went to the old, uh, <clears throat> was it Memorial Stadium? I think it was Memorial Stadium, although I'm not sure what it was a memorial to. Uh, but it was in Kansas City there, right down the street from uh, Arthur Bryant's Barbecue, which is where you always go before the game. And, it, and I still like to go there before the game and Arthur Bryant's, but it used to be right down the street from the ballpark in the old days before they built the Truman sports complex out there. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was great. You know, I was five years old. I, I thought that the the vendors were opening up beer bottles with their hands because they had the opener in their hand and they were just, and it was back in the day where you had bottles at the, at the baseball game. What a dangerous thing. You know? Cause they let you be a lot more radical back then than they do now. You know, yeah. people were a little better behaved. I, I remember throwing pennies to Reggie Jackson in right field back when he got paid so much. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't let you do, you get kicked out for that. Now, was that a you know? protest? Well, you know, it was just like, you know, you, he moved from, uh, he moved from the Oakland A's, to New York and got paid all this money to play for the Yankees, you know. And of course, we're out there in right field throwing him money, you know. Here, you need some more money, you know, throwing him pennies, and he's picking them up. <laughs> That's what I love Reggie Jackson about is he was actually picking the money up. <clears throat> but anyway, we, you know, it was a it was a Kansas City A's, and it was it was a very eye opening uh, uh, event for me, and you know, a ball game with your dad, and. Uh, I remember this cat was walking around the stadium selling Cokes, and uh, his rap was, I, 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 
I am the Coke Bandito. Here, Coke. <laughs> Nine innings of that. <laughs> but it was great. It was so entertaining to me, you know. It was it was like going to the circus, only it was a ball game. Yeah. I still love to go to a ball game. There's nothing like going to a major league ball game, really, yeah. still. I mean, I, I like going to minor league games because it's cheap, cheaper. Yeah. And the sounds, it, it's great. It's fun. It's baseball. It's the game. Any Anytime you go to that game, it's entertaining to me. Yeah. And uh, I even, I'll even keep score at the sounds game sometime. And uh, back in the old BR days, you know, we would try to hit as many ball games as we could when we were out there on the road. I remember going to two different uh, Milwaukee Brewers when they were still in the American League and got to see Randy Johnson pitch. And someone hooked us up with these great tickets right behind home plate, you know. Wow. Old County Stadium. Nice. But uh, yeah, you know, it was that was a great. And then in the same stadium, I saw the Kansas City Chiefs play. They played in the same stadium, and they used to have this Indian guy that would ride ride this paint horse uh, the full length around the entire stadium when they scored a touchdown with his hands in the air with like a touchdown signal, like in a full <laughs> gallop in a headdress. <clears throat> I I think he's drinking a little. <laughs> he might have been a little fire water on the side there, <laughs> but it was that you know. I don't know if they. I don't think they still have that anymore. I think that guy passed away years ago. Was he actually a Native American? Yeah, he was an Indian guy. Okay. Yeah, I thought maybe it was they, like they, wrestling. Well, when they 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 were kind of in contact with the local uh, Indian people, you know, when they when they first set that up to kind of bring him on board with the whole chiefs thing. Hmm. Um. So it's not like to the Indians, it's not like the Redskins, yeah. you know, which is kind of insulting when you think about it. Yeah, you know, like or the Cleveland Indians. There's no Indians on, <laughs> you know. At, yeah. at least there's uh, there's also Irish chiefs. So it's like, but it's the Arrowhead symbolism because you know that that's Indian country where I where I come from in Kansas. You know, you got the Kickapoo Indian Nation up there in Brown County, and you know you're not that far away from Oklahoma. Where there's a lot of Indian nations, and to, and and in my hometown of Lawrence, Kansas, not only is there a, you know, the University of Kansas, there's also one of the biggest Indian colleges there, Haskell American Indian College. It, I I kind of knew some of that crowd, and and I met William quite a few times and talked to him. I mean, he knew who I was, and I actually showed him in Cronenberg naked lunch because i was the projectionist at liberty hall which is the art house there and i sh- I, sh- I had a private screening burroughs and cronenberg yeah. are in- <laughs> they were watching naked lunch nice you know when it just right when it came out and so you know i was tied in with some of those people there and it was really interesting to run into him in the at the dylan store which is the kroger the dylan store yeah it's called dylan's okay it's, it's a it's, it's a Bob. grocery store okay it's a dylan's and in fact, you can use your Kroger, you know, customer card at Dylan's. Still, it's just, it's just sort of the same deal as local in in Kansas. You'd run into him, and then it was just the different interesting people that would that would be coming into town because of William Burroughs. Yeah. For instance, at that same Dylan's I'm talking about there on 19th and Mass, um, in Lawrence, I ran into Tom Waits in the international section. He was looking at a can of beans. <laughs> How you doing, Tom? <laughs> that was what I got. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> pretty good Tom Waits impersonation. <laughs> so if when you see Burroughs out, is he friendly? Is he what's he like? Well, he he was to me because he he knew me, but you know, 
everybody knew, you know, no, no one germed him. People in Lawrence, they're not like that. You know, it's, it's ultra like, don't get, it's, don't get above your raisin to the nth degree, but not in a country way, in a hipster way. I just, I don't know if it's still like that, but well, you know, so you like I had to come back and act right. <laughs> don't act like you've made it or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. 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 Made it. Made it. <laughs> <laughs> I made a do do. Did, did uh, Burroughs like naked lunch? Was he happy with the, yeah, they the seemed movie? to really, really like it. Okay. You know, he seemed to, and of course, you know, didn't Cronenberg make it? So. Did you, yeah, did you talk to Cronenberg at all? Or No, I just met him. He came up to the projection booth, and yeah. I talked to him. And, I mean, I was just some dude running the show for him. Okay. But William knew me because I know James Grauerholtz, who was his secretary for years. Okay. You know, I knew him uh, because I also worked at a music store, too. And, you know, it's a small town. Yeah. People know each other. And, uh, you know, that was just part of my crowd. You know, there was... There's all sorts of people like that. One of the best things that happened in the, in I guess it was 89. I think it was like 89 was the thing called the River City Reunion. And it was, uh, you know, they had all these people because Kerouac and Neil Cassidy came through Lawrence several times. It was the last little bit of civilization before you got to Denver, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you're on yeah. the road and, you're, and they're going across either 40 or 50. In those days, there wasn't any I-70. Yeah. And so, you know, they talked about stopping in Lawrence and partying and everything. And so it was, I don't know why, I don't know why Burroughs ended up there, but I, because I don't remember the story, but he did. So, you know, it was kind of a, there were these old hippie guys and hipster guys that lived there that were, you know, into all the beats and into poetry and into art. And, and they, they put together this big show over a weekend called the River City Reunion, you know. Ginsburg was in town and uh, uh, Jim Carroll came and Marion Faithful and all these people, uh, you know, Gregory Corso, all these guys were like doing poetry readings, you know, <laughs> Allen Ginsburg read Howl, you know, for Christ. And I, mi I missed it because I was playing in the Howard Street Tavern up in, uh, uh, where is it, Omaha, Nebraska. That night, we had to miss that night, but I was there for you know for most of the rest of it. And then Sunday, Husker Du played, uh, so it was kind of all all around, you know, meeting of the arts, and it really was kind of inspiring. You know, it sounds a little pretentious to talk about, but it was really really cool. It was a cool thing that happened, and and the backdrop of that was at the same time, uh, Andrew McCarthy and Matt Dillon were filming this movie called Kansas, which is like one of the all-time worst films. It's not as bad as The Innocence of Muslims, but <laughs> which is bad if you've seen that. It's, it really is. like That's embarrassing. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, it, the, the Kansas movie. But they, were, but they had been in town for, for a few weeks, too, and, and so they were there at the same time as this River City reunion thing. So I had to, you know, I was opening the door for Matt Dillon and, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome because when people think of Kansas, you know, you don't think of all these wonderful cultural things taking place, interesting people stopping by, all that. That's beautiful. I, well, that only happens in Lawrence. Well, that's true. <laughs> you know, and, and actually, in all fairness, Manhattan has a certain element of that too, where they have K State University. It's Manhattan. It's, you know, from Lawrence, you go west till you smell it, north till you step in it. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. <laughs> that little rivalry thing there. But it's K State. They're the Aggie school. But they, you know, they have they have, you know, their own little hipsterville there too. And uh you know, there's all sorts of little folk art people though all around the state. But it's it, you know, that kind of stuff's concentrated in Lawrence because it's a big university, you know. Yeah. It it wields a lot of influence. Some know? some of the best um, roadside stuff that I can remember visiting is in Kansas, like in Lucas at the Garden of Eden. That that's the king of them all. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. That's that's right up there with Finster's place down there in Georgia. Uh, in Cocker City, there's the world's largest ball of twine. Oh yeah. Well, and, you've been to all of them, oh, haven't I've been you? To, and there's a, something in in Goodlettsville, I believe, is where the tornadoes hit. There was a someone who made metal signs that were all like very high. Greenville. Greenville. Yeah, and that guy was from Lawrence, and uh, and he's a friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> what are the chances? He does the metalworking down there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Dustin Cipher. That's by the world's largest hand-dug well, somewhere near that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't remember all these things. But. No, you should. That's, what, that's the good <laughs> stuff about America. We get to travel so much, and we drive past, you know, or drive through so many interesting places. Sometimes we get to partake in some of them. Those oh yeah, are, those are the ones I enjoy. Well, that's part of that's part of being on the road. That was the the allure initially. Now you're just hustling to get to a gig, but you know sometimes take the time. Really? There, three 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 times this year, two times this year, we've been within inside a hundred miles from the Grand Canyon and haven't gone because uh, we just didn't have time. Yeah, he's breaking Marty's heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, you hit Roswell though. Oh yeah, we got to Roswell. And that was big. That was <laughs> good. Big. That was good. The UFO museums—it's worth it. The prime directive when traveling is to partake in things indigenous to the area. Yeah. If you don't do that, why are you traveling? <clears throat> yeah. You're not picking up on what they're laying down. Then yeah. you might as well just be picking in your backyard or your front room. We can drive over here and go to Cracker Barrel. You know, that's not why we're traveling. No. That's right. Although, it's kind of nice to see a Cracker Barrel sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just have the Uncle Herschel's? Like, we played this frat party once in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And uh, it was a a frat party, but it was like on this frat row, and each house had a theme. So that, you know, there were all these people in costumes wandering around drunkenly in this whole section of frat row. And sorority row and the and the one that we played at uh at first i thought they were dressed up like the flintstones you know like oh it's pebbles and and, and bam bam but no they were vikings which was even worse <laughs> and it gave him an excuse to even be more you know frat boy like if you will and we'd driven from lawrence down there you know and to me fayetteville is like ronnie hawkins man let's rock and roll uh but but we get there, and and I mean, the everybody is hammered already, and uh, we set up our equipment in their basement because that's where it's going to happen. That's where the gig's going to happen. And they said, "Going upstairs, you know, you can go through the cafeteria line and eat. The, we got some good barbecue up there." We're like, "All right, sounds good." We go up, and all the food is gone from the buffet, and we go into the big lunchroom, and it's all over the walls and the ceiling where they'd had this huge food fight because they saw it in the animal house or whatever <laughs> and they think that now that's the way they're supposed to act and yeah. it's like no you're really the frat boys that were the assholes in that show <laughs> you know what i mean you're, yeah. you're not the animal house guys and 
so yeah, so so then you know, so we go to this burger joint that was there that was kind of famous at the time, and it was a good burger. We go back to the back to the place. They're even more hammered, and we get down there to start, and the basement is just packed. And we start playing two songs. The basement is empty, and they're all up in their rooms partying. And we finish out the first set, and we're like, "Wow!" We walk out of the basement, and as we're walking up the stairs out, we see this chair flying out the window onto the patio amongst other chairs and tables and shit that they had thrown out. It was just a pile of stuff. They were they were tearing up their own shit. It wasn't like Keith Moon or anything where he's tearing up a hotel yeah. and getting banned from Holiday Inn. It was their own stuff that they had to pay for. <laughs> you know, or their dads had to pay for, excuse me. So we go down to do the next set, packed down there in the basement. Same thing. Two songs, everybody's gone. <laughs> But we got paid. Everybody's like, yeah, man, you're great, man. Yeah. And they're making all the pledges, clean up all the glass from the brook, you know. Just another weekend Just at the another weekend in, at the frat house in Fayetteville, <laughs> Arkansas. And so I ended up, we ended up coming down here in 93. And uh, really, we had, we had like 1,500 bucks, you know. And they wouldn't let us open up a an account at Third National Bank because we didn't have any proof that we weren't drug dealers or something. Oh. We're like, well, if we were drug dealers, we'd bring in a whole lot more than fifteen hundred fucking dollars, man. <laughs> Back then, it was just like it was nuts. It was it was a there was crack houses everywhere. Um, there were uh, hillbillies that lived behind us. You know, ended up you know, changing their brake drums in our carport. And they were kind of nice people. But then, you know, the, the the empty house next to us ended up, uh, the woman who owned it, her son moved into it with uh, his wife and two little girls. And, uh, but he didn't move in quite at the beginning because, you see, he was in jail. And the first <laughs> thing they did was build an eight-foot chain-link fence around the backyard so he could feel good at home when he got home <laughs> from the slammer. And, you know, immediately there was all sorts of shit going. I mean, it was real, it was kind of peaceful, actually. I mean, it was it was weird and it was colorful, but it, as soon as they moved in, things started happening. I mean, it became a crack house. You know, they were with these two little girls. They were and and then then he got out of the out of the slammer and then he was over there and and you know, friends and relatives, our stereos go missing, you know, graffiti written on the back, you know, all sorts of screaming and hollering at night, going through animals. It was, it was just, it was sick to me, you know. And meanwhile, you know. Were you having I, second thoughts? No, 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 because it, it, it that happened over a, a couple of years time, actually, or a year and a half or so, because my first job here was working for Greenpeace. If you could call it a job, I walked around knocking on doors for Greenpeace. No, no, man, we're not a lawn service. We're the Save the Whales people, you know. <laughs> uh, but it, it, there was lots of people in this neighborhood. There were always a lot of like artists, and uh, a big contingency of people were starting to fix houses up in Edgefield, uh, the big, nice Victorian houses. And uh, but there was still lots of absentee landlords and knuckleheads. I, I ended up going down to Lower Broad and getting that whole thing going, and we got it going, and it, it was pretty cool. And then the guy next door got put back in jail for stealing, and then that was when it escalated, like people walking up to our house thinking that it was next door, and we'd have to say, no, 
you know, gunfire in the night. They're wanting to buy drugs from you. Yeah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> you got the wrong house. <laughs> and then, of course, it ended up some dudes that had just gotten out of jail. They they come up to score some rock next door because that's you know two of them go in. One of them waits in the car, and uh, some sort of argument ensues. And uh, the seventeen-year-old prostitute that was in there too, because they were selling two kinds of crack, ended up getting in an argument and shooting these two guys, killing one of them. You know, and by that time, Br had kind of taken off, and we were we were over in Paris, France, and I'm on the phone saying, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, yeah, I just saw where the hot club used to be. It's a garage, parking garage now, but I'm, you know, I'm here. I'm in Paris, France." She's like, "Oh yeah, there's blood on my tomatoes." Oh god, you know, and that was kind of, that was when we moved over here to this house about seven blocks away, and it was it was a different story over here. Uh, they only stole our car out of our driveway in the first week. And while we were over here taking a load of things over here, they broke into my house and stole all of my guitars and everything. And I'm convinced it's the people next door to us. I mean, that was the big crack house on the corner. Well, in the first place, it's not a moped. It, it, it's a motorcycle. It's a three-speed motorcycle, semi-automatic, Honda C7. I got one brand new in 1980. It was, it's blue, sort of that Ford blue, that light blue, and a little step-through Cub bike. And they stopped making them here in the U.S. in 1983, but everywhere else in the world, it's the most popular motorcycle that there is. I mean, you look at any, just look it up, C70 Passport, and in Asia, there's thousands and thousands of them i thought they were all imported i didn't even know that no they made them okay. they used to they made them from the late 70s all the way up or late 60s early 70s all the way up until uh 1983 okay but i got a c70 because uh i did have a moped and it just wasn't cutting it you know it that's not enough power <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't want to get a motorcycle, and I was really into the Who at that time, so I wanted to be sort of mod, but I wanted to be an American mod, so I bought a Japanese bike. And I loved it, man. I, 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 I spent a lot of time, and then there were times in my life, you know, a few years when that was my only vehicle. It, and uh, ex Well, except for the, the band van. Yeah. But that was for, that was for band van stuff. <laughs> An old shitty Dodge van, 72 Dodge van with a cow skull on the front. That cow skull. Nice. Um, yeah, we rode that around quite a bit. And it had a pair of uh, bicycle handlebars that, that looked like longhorns that we had <laughs> all stuck up with. <laughs> behind the skull but behind the skull on the front of the van yeah <laughs> so it was kind of kind of web pierce -ish. <laughs> but yeah the c70 man i drove that around i used to drive it in all sorts of weather and you know and back then I, there's no helmet law in in kansas and i just can't i can't imagine not wearing a helmet now yeah. you know but i didn't for years you know you had to get you had to have eye protection yeah. But you didn't have to have head protection. <laughs> Who wants to be Gary Busey, right? Right. But um, so then when I when I moved down here, you know, I sold it. It, it just didn't seem very conducive to ride a scooter around here, and I it was just extra. So I didn't, you know, for, I went for years without having it, and then a few years back, uh, we took a trip to Italy, and everybody has a scooter over in Italy. 
you know, ciao. And um, we got back and uh, Brad, my friend, we went, we all went over and stayed in a little villa in Tuscany, uh, uh, Brad and Sally and my wife and me. And um, he bought a Vespa because of it. And I'm looking at this Vespa and I'm helping him unload it. And I'm like, man, I want a scooter. I want a scooter again. So I went home and I Googled 1980 Honda C70 scooter. And it comes up and there's one for sale on Craigslist in Topeka, Kansas, like 20 miles from my dad's house. So I call up the guy and it's in great condition. You know, the guy's been using it for construction. He, he, he had a Winnebago and he put it on the Winnebago and then just drive it around the site. And he bought it from a lady and it had 900 original miles on it Wow! from 1980. So I thought, you know, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I brought it back home and I've been riding it ever since I had just got new tires and I take it out to the Honda place and they dote on it because it's an old bike. <laughs> and it's they don't all like it, that. It run, oh, they love it. Oh, okay. No, that's, they they dote on it. They're I like, no, I want to work on that. I want to work on that because they get tired of working on the you know okay. crotch rockets. I didn't know what dote on it meant. Oh, dote. You dope. know, and they're like, oh, this is mean. I love this. I see, okay. you know, you're special. <laughs> I dote on you. I don't do that. I guess. So I don't. You, no, you don't dote. You don't seem like a doter to me. I'm not a doter. But um, yeah. So I ride it around, and I I I really love it. And it's great for just going to the store. Shit, I rode it all the way over the fairgrounds. I've ridden it all over town now. I see you all over town riding it and even put it in your video. I did. I did. I try not to take it on major roads, though, because you're just asking for it. But, you know, we, but we, we knew how to run that because my dad, being a teacher, would have to have a summertime gig. <laughs> You gotta have a summertime gig, right? Yeah. And um, he would manage a swimming pool, but there for like maybe five, four, five, six years, he ran a summer camp, and it was at this country club in Paola, Kansas, and it was a had like I don't know how many acres, but they had seven lakes on on it, and uh, a stable with horses, and a, and a. a a, a dining hall and a nice restaurant and hotel rooms and they uh they hired my dad to run a summer camp for the kids who were members of this country club and then they figured out that they could make money so my dad just went out you know and showed them showed a reel of our home movies from the first summer camp and got other kids to to come to the and, and made them money right but we were there all summer long you know <laughs> at the summer camp and they had of course they had archery and and BB, you know, rifle, riflery, they called it. So you knew how to, you know, they were teaching how to responsibly yeah. use it. Although it's still, there was, <laughs> there was one time when we shot an arrow weight in the air and it went way, way up and came down. And I thought it was going to hit this old man sitting on his front porch, this hot, but it ended up just going straight into his roof. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> We never told anybody. It was my sister and I, of course, messing around out in the, <laughs> out by the Wakarusa River. Oh, God. <laughs> my dad did that in the front yard once where he walked out front, and me and him were standing there, and he shot an arrow straight up in the air. And just three seconds later, realized how stupid that was. <laughs> <Yes>. And he's <laughs> like, run! And we took off running. <laughs> you don't know. Well, on that note... <laughs> 
Man, I appreciate you sitting down with me. Thank you very much, and I uh, appreciate you putting up with me. Hey, man, I was, this is my pleasure. I like talking to you, Otis. Well, you know what? We'll do this more often or something. Well, let's make up a song sometime. Let's do that. Let's do that. Maybe we'll do that when we turn off the mics. Thanks, right. man. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Chuck for inviting me over to his living room in East Nashville, Tennessee. And if you'd like to find out more about Chuck, just go to chuckmead.com. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com. You can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can get a download of any album I've ever made. You can uh, get one of my fine art photographic prints, and they look beautiful on your wall. You can buy one of Amy's CDs while you're there. Amy's made a brand new children's book that we have up on the website and that we're very proud of it. You can pick up a copy of that. Anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review and uh, leave a comment on there. All of that helps us move up in the search rankings and uh, it helps a lot more people find out about this show. But if you enjoy my music or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And uh, if you'd like to send us an email, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.